how do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. All right. Welcome to really another podcast. I'm your co-host John. I'm your other co-host Tim. And if you hear a weird sound, it's not me hitting the bong. It's just a regular vape. <laughs> Trust me, it's an odd-ass crackling sound. It sounds pretty funny over the mic. <laughs> it's better than smoking. Cause I can't is- do that in here. <laughs> so. Today's topic of discussion, we have chosen to go with Batman. I had to plug that. Of course. It's too iconic not to. Way too iconic. That's pretty much where most people of our age or maybe a tad older probably grew up on Batman, other than the comics, of course. But we decided to go with this topic today because, especially with the new uh trailer that just got that just dropped for uh the new movie uh the new batman movie yeah the batman the batman and uh so we thought this might be a good topic to try to just kind of discuss uh the batman (laughs) (laughs) and everything else in between and i have to say upon viewing that well originally when that When they originally introduced the idea of bringing Robert Pattinson in, I may, I immediately had a stupid image go through my head. I saw, Edward, I saw Edward Cullen <laughs> <laughs> dressed up as Batman, all sparkly, looking like a gay bitch. <laughs> a bedazzled Batman. Basically. <laughs> Batman did the bat, uh, bedazzled years. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, no, just no, no. Because I, the only thing I've ever seen him in was the Twilight series. And that was when I was introduced to him. But I have to say, after seeing the trailer, I'm giving him an honest shot because I was amazed at how night and day he was wearing that cowl. Yes. That was a huge transformation, and it sold me on the idea. I was like, all right, maybe this guy actually does have what it takes. Uh, I, th- I think they they did a good job with this trailer. Obviously, um, of course, uh, you know with the with COVID nineteen and everything else, uh, they've had to uh, break from a lot of the production. But uh, they're supposed to be going back to it pretty soon. And but it seems like they've got enough, at least in the can, that they were able to create uh, really a trailer for this and really generate a lot of. Uh, a lot of positive feedback on it. Uh, everything that you see online has been very, quite positive about about uh, the new trailer and, and this movie coming out. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are actually uh, real happy about it. And it's interesting because it seems like every time an actor gets announced as being the new Batman, it's always the same. Uh, it's always the same same thing. It's 
you know, when when Michael Keaton was announced as being going to play the part of Bruce Wayne Batman back in uh, uh, Batman from 1989, everybody hated the idea. They're like, oh, Beetlejuice is going to play as Batman? That's crazy. <laughs> and everybody was about to, ready to lynch uh, Tim Burton for choosing him to be cast in that role. Right. And then they did the same thing with uh, Christopher Nolan. I mean, excuse me, not Christopher Nolan. Well, Christopher Nolan's Batman. Um, Christian Bell. Christian Bell. Uh, but his his backlash wasn't as bad. Uh, but, of course, uh, when Michael Keaton didn't want to return for the third Batman, then uh, when Val Kilmer was, uh, was announced, when Joel Schumacher took over uh, directing duties, there wasn't a whole lot of backlash that I remember, but there were... Uh, still a lot of people that were like, well, he's blonde-headed. Why would they put a blonde-headed uh, actor in a Bruce Wayne role uh, as Batman? And then the same, and then George Clooney, I don't think there was a whole lot of backlash uh, at first with George Clooney playing the part who took over for Val Kilmer when he didn't want to return. And But then there was more of the backlash came later when a lot of people just... <laughs> and I think George Clooney was unfairly judged on that movie because the movie just wasn't good. But I, but I don't think that George Clooney's performance was bad. As a matter of fact, as compared to Val Kilmer, I thought that he would make a good Bruce Wayne in a Batman. But I think just the direction that he was given and the way that he was prompted in order to act in the role just wasn't right. But I think he probably would have done better if it had been you know, um, better better than uh, if it was uh, maybe a different director or, or a different writing that uh, came out uh, for the movie. And, of course, uh, when Ben Affleck was announced for... The Batflack. Uh, for, for his role as Batman, everybody hated that, too. So you... And, and did the same, they did the same thing with, um, with this latest uh, Batman. Uh, it's just like every time there's an actor, they... Uh, the, the fans just become very toxic at first until they actually see either the movie or the trailer and it, it turns their mind around about the whole thing. Yeah, it's definitely been a <clears throat> somewhat of a reoccurrence. No matter, no matter who it is, they get ridiculed until they see the trailer. Then maybe not nine times out of ten, but at least six times out of ten, people were for it. But there's one, there one specific thing that, in that trailer that sold me on the idea. It wasn't seeing him in the, in the bat suit, which that bat suit is very imaginative. And I'm still trying to figure out what they used to make the bat logo. Because the, the fan theory is, is that it's a handgun that's been um, cut in half. And if you zoom into it, it does kind of resemble um, parts of the um, gun. Right. But I'm just, yeah, I'm trying to figure out where you came up with the word imaginative <laughs> for a bat suit. It's because it looks nothing like the bat suits ever looked like. It's usually loose, you know, looked like a rubber suit, and his looks like a DIY project, like truly DIY. Yeah, like, the, well, it's supposed to be like his second year as being mm-hmm. Batman. So, like, the, the technology and, and all of his tools of the trade are supposed to be still basically in a. Uh, developmental stage, mm. uh, you know, as the character goes. So that's that's probably where that comes from. But I think that's that's a good way to go because, uh, you know, even though Bruce Wayne is supposed to be a millionaire, he obviously, you know, it's like, well, I'm just been doing this gig for a year. How am I supposed to know what exactly I'm supposed to do or what I'm supposed to wear? How am I supposed to protect myself from criminals when I'm trying to to take them down? Yeah, but um, <clears throat> the one the one part where they actually 
show him beating the f- fucking mess out of that one dude. And I can't really tell what he was, so I don't want to say thug or bank robber because I don't know what he was. But after he beat the living dog shit out of him, which was probably the most violent we've ever seen Batman be portrayed on um, oh. TV because he looked truly merciless. Like he did, like, no, I'm a murdering Batman. Fuck, fuck everything that you've ever seen before. When that dude asked him, who are you? I have to say, I am so thankful that he did not say, I'm Batman. Right. <laughs> when he said, I'm vengeance, I said, uh-huh. yes, thank you. Yeah. Because, sorry, we haven't seen the film. You're not Batman yet. Right. Well, I think that the whole I'm Batman kind of is owned by Michael Keaton. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like it's practically trademarked <laughs> At least it feels by trademarked. him as well as Warner Brothers. So, it's like, you know, you have to say I'm vengeance because it's something that's the same thing but on a different level. But... uh Speaking to the violence that you talked about, how violent he was in that trailer, I have to say the first time I saw a, a violent version of Batman, which was actually uh, refreshing to me, I know that may sound weird to some people, but I thought the Ben Affleck's uh, characterization uh, in the fight scene when he was trying to uh, uh, rescue uh, Superman's mother, Martha, mm-hmm. um, from the thugs in the warehouse, I thought that was just absolutely awesome. I, I, it was like, instead of Batman just kind of like, it, it's like most movies with superheroes, they, they kind of build up to where you get to that climax of the movie where now the, the hero and the villain or villains are going to match up and then it sort of kind of falls flat. But in that case, it's like Ben Affleck's Batman actually kicked ass yeah. <laughs> he kicked the ass the ass out of every one of those thugs in that warehouse and that's what i wanted to see out of a batman it was like you know all this training that he has done and and his background and everything and it's like to see him not go into actual action was always to me it was just like taking something away from the character that you wanted to see you know because mm-hmm. like batman is supposed to like instill fear in criminals uh he's supposed to be the vigilante that the cops can't be and that's and that's why he even exists is to to make it so that you know to criminals wouldn't even decide oh I'm not even going to go I'm not even going to do anything because you know Batman is going to be out there and may find me and kick my ass and that's what I wanted to see out of Batman I got that with Ben Affleck even though the movie was kind of you know everybody's kind of on the fence you either like oh it was pretty good or it was really good or it was really bad as far as uh, Batman versus Superman and yes. The movie was bad in the fact that there was they were trying so hard to take that movie and build the DC universe in one movie, and you can't do that. They just they were trying to play catch up with Marvel, like like we mentioned before, and that was just not a good not a good uh, move on their part. But there were there are parts in that movie that are absolute gems, in my opinion, oh, yeah. for for a decent movie, um, which is why we're back to. Uh, um, them uh, recutting Justice League now to try to, you know, uh, potentially being a four-hour-long cut that's going to be on HBO Max, and it's going to be in, I heard, I read recently, now it's going to be installments. It's not going to be one whole movie. It's going to be like one-hour installments, four installments. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're kind of going to make it kind of episodic. But, but yeah, this was, uh, this this, uh, Matt Reeves Batman is, it looks like it's going to be really good. It's like it's going to kick ass the way Batman should be. And uh, so I'm looking forward to it. 
I'm really curious on how they're going to do with the Riddler. The fan theory that I read online was that the Riddler isn't going to necessarily be the main villain, that there's something else going on that they're keeping from the audience. I, uh, yeah, I, I read that too, or I saw that on YouTube too, that they were, uh, that the Riddler is not really going to be the main villain. It's like there's a, another villain in the in the background that's kind of really pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I thought was unique, it's one of those, I like it, but I don't at the same time. Outside of, outside of um, you know, Christian Bell's Batman and Batman Begins, you know, when he's, you know, with the League of Shadows training, you know, he's got the beard and the long hair, mm-hmm. you know, because he's got no choice. He's in, he's in that situation. But seeing, but seeing Robert Pattinson's Batman with already the somewhat long hair, that is really throwing me off. I've never seen them try to give him a long hair before. I'm just like, no. He <laughs> kind of looks like he's a member of a, a, of an emo like a, band. <laughs> it's emo Batman. Emo Batman. Well, he kind of is. That's why he's Batman. Well, not the, I'm, I'm tortured. Wanna, not the I want to cut my wrist emo. Is what that's the that's the vibe I'm getting off of him right now. It's like yeah. I cut myself before I it's go more, to sleep. More emo scene than actual emo. <laughs> oh my goodness! I saw where um that cryptic um well there was a cryptic message in the in the um, Riddler's um car that he sent him. Did you see that where a fan has already um solved it? No, I haven't seen that. Really, somebody's already solved it. Mm-hmm. Did he put it online? Yeah, there's a YouTube video. Oh, right. Talk about spoilers, man. <laughs> it's like... well, they're saying that it's allegedly the answer because there's no one saying that that is not you know the answer because the Riddler says what happens after a liar is dead. Yeah, as and the answer is, and then there's still... like some cryptic net yeah. symbols that are at the bottom of the mm-hmm. other side of the card. But um, the guy says after he um search the um, symbols which I have no idea how the hell he did it because I thought they were just bullshit symbols that they created for the card apparently okay. they actually are legitimate symbols but the the answer to the riddle is he still lies which is the way it, you know the way it's written it's like a double entendre because it can mean several different meanings well somebody had already mentioned that that, that, that you know he still lies but I didn't know if the, you know that was I didn't know if that was uh what somebody had actually what what the symbols meant, and uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, I'm trying to find some information here on the phone, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's ultimate spoiler alert there. If uh, somebody has already solved it, yeah, if it ends up actually being what it means, yeah, that is a, a bit of a plot going wrong, so to speak. Or either they just didn't think someone was going to be smart enough to figure that out so fast. But shoot, 8 billion people in the world, someone's going to figure it out. Yeah, this is true. But I, yeah. But I guess that's, I'm not, I was just trying to see if I could find what the symbols are um, on the card, but it was kind of hard to talk and, and, and uh, look it up at the same time trying to do this. But, but just to see what, where the symbols come from, if they're actual symbols, like if they were like, hieroglyphs or mm-hmm. or if they are just symbols that maybe existed in in like a comic book series of batman that were brought back for the movie that and that's where i need my buddy philip in here yeah because he's read so many damn comics i'm pretty sure he already knows what he the said, oh that's num- that's issue number blah 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 <laughs> shout out philip what's up 
I guarantee you right now, someone's taking those um, symbols. There's going to be a shirt on Etsy within a month. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Somebody's going to copyright and fringe the hell out of that shit real quick. But the, I guess the other thing, too, is uh, that Michael Keaton is going to, has agreed to come back, as far as we know, uh, so far it has been reported, to uh, do uh, the new Flash movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think it was even, he was even supposed to appear in Batman Beyond as a he's supposed older to be, Bruce Wayne. I read that he's supposed to be Thomas Wayne and Beyond. Thomas Wayne and yeah. Beyond. Okay. Um, but... Uh, the fact that bringing Michael Keaton back is, is I think a great idea, especially if they're going to try to get him, him or his character groomed to be sort of like, like I've heard like the, the version of Nick Fury for the Marvel universe where he's going to be sort of the, the, uh, the, the leader or the, uh, mentor for, mm-hmm. um, for the younger heroes that are going to be presented going forward within the, the DC entertainment universe. Which is actually a pretty a pretty good idea, and the fact that he's going to be tied in is still uh, Batman, but Batman eighty nine. So it's going to fall into the multiverse, which I think is like I said before. I think I said last time on the podcast was probably one of the more brilliant ideas that they have come to to try to tie in all the different types of movies and properties and animated series to try to bring the DCE universe kind of tie it all together. So it's like they built this universe over time, but with all these different, uh, all these different uh, iterations of these characters uh, in different forms, uh, TV shows, animation, movies, and to bring it all together as like multiverse characters is, is to me a brilliant idea. It's like it, it's already been built. It's like they already had the tools and the, the, the wood. Now they're building this house. They're able to build this house, you know, and turn it into this huge mansion, uh, Wayne Manor. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's a great idea. Um, I'm glad they're bringing Michael Keaton back. And I'm, I'm glad peop, the fans are actually showing him respect for um, for the fact that Michael Keaton was the first film version of Batman. Uh, well, Adam actually, technically Adam West is, but but as far well, as... At, Adam West is actually the third uh, Batman. That's right. He is actually the third Batman. Um, but as far as modern, I guess like you can you can kind of put yeah. it under the, under the... In the parentheses of modern Batman, Michael Keaton would be the first... The first one where it wasn't really supposed to be campy. It was supposed to be a, a more dark version of the character. And I've actually been really surprised with how... Well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because that comes off kind of biased for me since I'm such a huge Batman fan. But... Uh, don't get me started <laughs> about Star Wars. <laughs> but knowing that people didn't know there was two other actors that betrayed him before the Adam West version came out. And that was actually episodic television. They were both episodic um, television shows in black and white. And they were kind of campy the way his is. And the suits were God awful. They were, which one are you talking about? You talking about Adam West's um, series? The, um, the two before Adam West. Oh, okay. The ones that came out in the forties. Well, it was the forties. <laughs> So uh, you know the technology, the the look. It was kind of hard to, to, and I think the the character was pretty still brand new. So there was a lot to be desired there as far as the look and everything. So that that would make sense. But it was the same thing with Superman. Everything for Superman up until. 
the late 70s when Christopher Reeve's version of Superman came out it seemed to be pretty pretty uh, hokey and 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 uh and not well thought out but but I think it was just the times and the technology so it, you know it's like you know it's evolved both both uh both Superman and Batman really all all of the um characters uh from the comics that have been turned into a television show or a movie have evolved over time. I'm curious on what um <clears throat> what video games are going to be brought into play with this because under every movie there's always a Batman game. They're already working on a um well even though it's really late to the party but it kind of has no choice but to be late to the party. After Suicide Squad came out, there's a Suicide Squad game that's supposed to come out next year and, and by the steals that I've seen because I don't know what the plot is because they're keeping it really hush-hush the characters look really good in the game but they're only focusing on just the they're focusing basically on just the characters that we saw from the movie they're not talking about what they're going after and <laughs> it's kind of cute the um the way they got um, Harley Quinn drawn for the character she looks like the one out of the um the the DC app the Harley Quinn show she looks almost identical to that cartoon drawing I'm like this is gonna be so awkward <laughs> the, the you talking about the the current animated yeah the yeah the current one oh, okay where, where she cusses like a sailor right which I have to say I absolutely love because I got I mean I love the character Harley to death but I wanted a more much like more adult version so to speak. Because right. you, you don't expect a super villain to be polite and not curse, right? You know, you you expect that no filter, screw you, I won't do what you tell me, and that's what you get with that cartoon show. Well, it makes sense, but uh, I, I actually haven't seen it yet. But I What's just wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I I haven't had a chance to watch a whole lot of TV lately. <laughs> I've been very busy. But, uh, but I have heard good things about it. So, um, I, you know, but it, it, I don't think there's been an animated version of any of these characters that have been bad. It's, the, the movies can be hit and miss. The TV shows can be hit and miss, but the animation seems to always be, uh, really, uh, well received by all fans. I don't think I've heard of any animated version of Batman or anything attached to it that has ever been, uh, that has, uh, been given a, a negative review or or negativity or backlash from fans, so somehow they seem to be able to do something right with that. But I think it's because the the platform of animation, I think it just it provides uh, more space to really develop the characters. And mm-hmm. whereas with actors, you know, you have time frames, you have you know uh, their own private lives that you have to work around, and you have you know an actor. If there's an actor you know and the way hollywood is is you know they if they do anything wrong then it can be it can be toxic towards production it can be toxic for the actor or or actress whereas animated it's like how are you going to go after an animated character <laughs> you might go after the people that make the animated character yeah. who draw it but but otherwise it's almost untouchable so it's like you can go you can be i mean you can just the spectrum is wide open for uh, animation to go all these different storylines uh, all these different characterizations you don't have to worry about special effects you just draw the special effects right or complete correct uh, put them on a computer and create them and 
and it just comes out it can come out really clean and and and, and the production is so much probably cheaper compared to actually hiring and doing it live action yeah, it comes down to the only thing you got to really worry about outside of voice acting is <clears throat> the sound effects for the special effects And one thing that I really appreciated, even though it was kind of a drawback to me, because first time I first time I watched the um, Harley Quinn show, I didn't know about it until I bought the DC app. So I gave it a shot in the first episode. I was like, "Wait, that's not Tara Strong. Who the hell is voicing um, Harley?" And I looked it up. And it was Kelly Coo- um, Kelly. Uh, I can't pronounce her last name. The girl from um, Big Bang Theory. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. So hearing her cuss like a sailor. Oh, uh, you're talking about uh, Kelly uh, Kuko? I think that's how you pronounce her yeah. name. Oh, Kuko. Kuko. <laughs> I can't pronounce it either. It's a weird name. <laughs> but I know, he, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I was going to say Amy from Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah, but hearing her cuss like a sailor was entertaining to me. I mean, she lights it up. <laughs> I mean, there are some words that she was using that I was like, DC and Warner Brothers is okay with this? Oh, okay, okay. I can I can mess with this. I mean, I mean, you talk about two or three sentences, nothing but cuss words. <laughs> mm. I, mean, I mean, that's all it is, just pure profanity. I'm like, okay, this is fun. I'm so tired of the screw you meanie head. <laughs> Because that doesn't get the point across. It's fuck you, goddammit. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, she, she's all like, we're going to go in there. I'm going to grab the Joker by his dick. I'm going to stroke it off and then feed it to his goddamn ass. I'm like, what the fuck? Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's, it's this kind of cartoon. Okay. And that's literally what you get in that show. It's like borderline porno. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have said it's... well. I'm going to have to watch this show I mean, now. Audio-wise, it's pornographic. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to watch this show now. <laughs> it's as simple as that. <laughs> I mean, she she says shit like that. <laughs> Late at night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, go to, bed, go to bed, honey. I want to watch this. Preferably with a towel nearby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. And, the, and um, they did take one thing... It start well. It happened. It happens in one of the um, one of the newer comic books to where Harley and um, Poison Ivy become a couple. They <laughs> hint it strongly in the in that um, cartoon show also, which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, okay. So they're supposed to be sort of a in the closet lesbian co- couple. In the in the show they are, but I mean they're straight up together in the comic books. Oh, okay. Wow, I mean, there's actually a there's a it's a it's a Harley Quinn Poison Ivy comic book run. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so they should make a movie about that. <laughs> there's already a parody of it. But I mean, it, well, it's like Uma Thurman. She played as uh, Poison Ivy in the, the you know in uh, uh, Batman and Robin. Yeah, and she did it. I thought she did a good job, and she was really hot in that in, in that in that outfit. Um, even of course the the whole movie is campy, so you can't. There's no one character that wasn't campy in that in that movie. But still, the point is, is and that was when Uma Thurman was in her prime. So it's like if we could take her, Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy, and put her with uh, um with uh, Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh my God! Wow. 
I mean, ticket sales through the roof. <laughs> I think that's going to be a jerk but, off. Fest. But you know, well, I'm you know I'm pretty sure there's there's probably a porno out there that is that does already have uh, those two together. <laughs> it's just not what you would call in wide release. <laughs> a below coat classic. <laughs> But I have to say, my favorite Batman is, and I know this is probably not going to be too popular, but my favorite Batman is uh, is Christopher Nolan's version of of the character with um, um, Christian Bell. Christian Bell. Why can't I remember his damn name? But <laughs> Christian Bell, and of course, like now, the only thing that was disturbing about his character was his voice. Him trying to disguise his voice. Every time I watch that movie, I felt like I need a secret. Because <laughs> of the way he does the, the, oh, yeah, his, he does his, the gravelly voice. <laughs> his cancer voice, as they called it. <laughs> cancer voice. <laughs> Sounded like he had smoked like 80 packs a day. <laughs> yeah. But I still like that version better because I think the, the problem, when I watched the first Batman uh, movie back in 1989 in the theaters, the, one, the only problem I had with that Batman was that... Yeah, the idea of that film was to kind of take it from what people's was built up in most people's minds from the 1960s Batman with Adam West as being hokey, real comic book yeah. version of a live action version of Batman. And that movie was supposed to kind of help erase that and make the character more dark. And it was like there was a little tinge of that, but you still kind of had sort of a comic book feel to the movies. Uh, to both uh, Batman and Batman Returns, and but even though it was still kind of on a on a dark version, but I think that's probably because everybody was so used to Adam West at the time. They wanted to, to me, it was kind of like a homage, so to speak, Try kind of bringing the older fan base to a more current current look. Well, I think I think what it was was in my in my opinion, I think Tim Burton was trying to to turn the the property away from being more comic book like but some of the things the color palette the way the um just the way some of the the environment was put together and in the movie it still kind of came off that way uh the characters didn't act more really comic book like but the but the actual setting the setting and the the sets and everything and and the, the like I said the color palette and the the look of the buildings and, and the way Tim Burton helped to uh, draw and design some of the the sets still came off sort of uh, comic book like, almost like it's not real. Like the city would not actually exist. Uh, Gotham in this in this that iteration in the in that movie would not really exist because uh, I think Gotham is supposed to be the comic book version of Chicago or sort of like an uh, amalgamation of New Chicago York. New York. Uh, Where it's usually been based off of New York, and uh, so. Uh, but when so it just kind of it still came off a, a bit campy, and of course you, you know the same thing with uh, Batman Returns, and that actually that movie was actually not I actually kind of like that movie a little bit better than the first one, with the except until the the penguins of rockets strapped to their backs came out, and, and the in <laughs> the, uh, the the final the the final part of the movie for the climax that just that was like okay I'm done, and then. Uh, and then, of course, owned Penguin. I gotta give him uh, well, um, Jack Nicholson owned Joker uh, from the first movie. Um, uh, the only other person I could have, I, I don't think there was another person I could have thought of at the time that could play Joker. 
Um, but I think Jack Nicholson was a good choice for that, and he owned it. And for the longest time, he owned that role. And it's like yeah. it seemed like oh, nobody definitely. else could ever play the Joker, with the exception of Mark Hamill as the voice actor for the animated series. Uh, but the thing for me was that when Christopher Nolan's version, when the Dark Knight series came out, I liked it because it seemed real. It's like there was a sense of realism that was placed into the property, into the movies, uh, into the trilogy that just made it seem more real. Like, you know, this could be a real guy. This could be somebody who's actually decided, I'm going to put on a mask and a cape, and I'm going to go fight crime every night. So it just seemed real to me. But, yeah, uh, but... Danny DeVito did, he owned that as Penguin, and they've never really come out with, a, there's never been another Batman movie so far, although I think this new one's going to have a version of Penguin in it. I would love but it's it not going to be, be uh, it's not going to be like as made, it's not going to be made up the same way Danny DeVito's character was in the, the original in Batman Returns, but it's going to uh, be something else, but you know it's going to be the Penguin. But yeah, nobody could, could match the Joker with Jack Nicholson until um <clears throat> I feel like you're trying to hold back a sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> um but until uh until they came until the Dark Knight came came out with uh Heath Ledger in the role. Yeah. And he owned that role. And you know, it was uh, so now Heath Ledger's uh, version of the Joker is the the benchmark that yeah, people kind any of others would a, try to as would, a scale, to, so to speak. Yeah, um, and uh, so, but I, yeah, Heath Ledger's version of the Joker was to me is like the best version because it, it's what you want the Joker to be. You don't want him to be a clown. So more as as much as you want to be a psychotic clown, yeah. you want him to be psychotic. You want that to be dangerous, you know. And that's what Heath Ledger's Joker came out to be. He's just like this is a dangerous guy, you know. Is he as strong as Batman? Probably not, but he's he's smarter than Batman. He's psychotic, and he's willing to to go to any lengths to do what he needs to do in order to 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 you know uh, commit whatever crime he needs to to get his point across. And he had a plan, yeah. <laughs> even though he said he didn't have a plan. <laughs> yeah, that was just to throw everybody off. <laughs> yeah, going back, but going back to um, going back to Keaton's Batman. <clears throat> when I was when I was saying, you know, talking about it didn't work, I wasn't referring to what Tim Burton was doing because I didn't. I, whoever listens to this, when I said it earlier, I didn't want people to think that when I was saying that it was about. His ideas for me, what didn't work was the fact that he had zero source on the character. He didn't know a damn thing about Batman, and all he had was the script. And he ref- basically refused to look into the comic book character because he wasn't a comic book guy. He hated comics. Right. And I was just like, I don't see how you can go. You, I don't see how you can go and direct a movie and have absolutely no source of information to use to make your product to be better than it can be. Mm, I, I, you know, I don't think you can be... Because every even, single actor, when it comes to portraying their actor, the first thing they tell you that they did was they went to the comics. Right. To, to you know, get a better idea of how they needed to portray that character. But I'm going to try to see if I can paint a picture for this because you, 
you could not be Tim Burton's age at the time and not know what comic books were. You couldn't be Tim Burton well, even knew, at that he time. Knew what they were. He just refused to read the source material. Right, but what I'm saying is that you know, I'm sure he knew what Batman was. I'm sure he's he had read something of of it. I think sometimes I think he was just trying to be a bit unconventional in his approach, and that was one of his ways of telling people that he was trying to be unconventional, that he wasn't trying to follow what would be considered normal convention of like, okay, well, I'm going to direct this movie, so let me dive into the comic books and the and the the, the uh, mythology of Batman in order to understand it. You know, he wanted to. I feel like that he maybe the only reason he said that was just kind of throw him off with the idea that you know. Um, if he's gonna if he's gonna create a Batman that's different from what people are used to, mm-hmm. then you know this is his way of, of saying that that's how he's going to do it, or this is just is simply his way of presenting his, I guess his vision, as it were. But I mean, I've I've read and I've seen that too about Tim Burton, and you know, and it's probably true, but I think there's some tinge of just you know the. Him trying to be the eccentric director in there too a little bit. He's definitely eccentric. <laughs> oh, to say the least. But you know, um, there's hardly a movie of his I don't enjoy. But it makes me wonder what would what would happen if he were to ever direct another Batman movie. Well, I. I there was some rumor that uh, that the only reason Michael only reason Michael Keaton would come back for this fran to this franchise is if Tim Burton had something to do with it. Because well, they do have a great relationship. Well yeah. Um and I'm not sure if that's true or not. It might be just something that, that has just is hearsay or whatever, but but I know that uh, there was a fourth Batman movie that was supposed to be uh done based on Tim Burton's uh franchise of Batman that was never done, unchained. Um, but of course, it was killed because of the two movies that came prior to it, um, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, that killed that that whole franchise. So, but there was, but from what I understand, there were supposed to be like, and maybe I'm just I'm misreading it or have mis misread it or misunderstood it. But I think there was supposed to be some kind of like Tim Burton was supposed to have something to do with with Batman to some degree in order for Michael Keaton to want to come back and have something to do with it. So. There may be some collaboration there that might not be big, but there might be some some influence. There's probably definitely something going on, but it seems year after year they get more secretive with the information. Well, they kind of have to. There's the internet. <laughs> it's not like back in 1989 when you know the only way people knew that Michael Keaton was going to play the part of Batman was that the the press announced it because the studio announced it. And then, you know, and the backlash was so visceral that, you know, in today's terms with the Internet, it would have just it would have hit within less than 24 hours. But it took a while for for that to come out, for people to voice their opinions about it It was mostly uh, from people who would write into their, you know, whatever newspaper or they would write to the studio, you know, or make phone calls about it or something like that. And what little bit of an Internet was did exist back then, you know, you saw something about it, but. But, you know, today with the Internet, it's like things just – it gets out there so fast. So, yeah, they have to be more secretive about it because otherwise everybody will know within 24 hours of something. Well, they used to not be so secretive. I remember where – this is why I'm saying I hate how I hate how it's become. You would see a, you would see a movie trailer about a – well, 
I'll use I'll use Avatar as an example, even though it's not the topic. But you would see like a trailer for Avatar, and then at the very end, it would show in theaters in October, and you saw it in July. Like you didn't have to wait too long until you got to see the movie. Now you see the trailer in March, and you find out the movie's not coming out to the summer, not coming out to the summer next year. I'm like, what the? <laughs> I hate that shit. I miss it where you didn't have to wait too long until the movie comes out. Uh, yeah, you know, after the trailer was dropped, yeah. you mean? I mean, you would see a trailer, and then the movie was coming out within two or three months after that. Now it's a year to two years, sometimes even three years. And it just, to me, that's irritating. I, you, well, I, th- I think it's just the trends of things. Uh, for example, and this is just my own opinion. I, I could be wrong, I don't, but I don't care. I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, I think it's because, uh, you know, right now you have, you have um, uh, streaming you can stream movies online. You can do it through Amazon. You can do it through Apple. You can do it on the internet. Hell, you can even stream movies through YouTube. So there is, there are so many uh, sources of, of how to attain entertainment and movies online now, just online itself, not to mention uh, you know, the old-fashioned television, that going to the theater is starting to become passe. It's like, yeah. why would anybody want to spend lots of money to go to a theater to buy a ticket, you know, pay enormous amounts of money for popcorn, soda, and any other, anything else to go watch a movie when, like, oh, well, if, it, it, if I can download it and stream it, I will. So Hollywood gets the majority of their, a lot of their revenue comes from these visits to the theater because if you and I say we wanted to go see a movie, both of us have to pay a that's ticket. That's about to be my point that the, the 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 movie tickets is what it shows the it shows the want for the movie. If no one goes to see the movie, they were like, "Well, damn! If no one wants to go drive a couple of mo- you know a couple of minutes to go mm-hmm. see the movie, why in the hell would they want to see it at all?" Well, I think it's it's just like it's the 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 scarcity of it to a degree. Like for example, like I was saying was if you and I wanted to go see a movie, both of us would have to buy a ticket. Or at least we had right. one of us had to buy two tickets to go see it, so we both had to pay like say we'll just say fifteen dollars a piece to go watch the movie, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's just for the ticket price to get into the theater, and of course, the studio gets a cut of that. The problem is is that if we want to watch a movie, but we want to download it online and watch it, it's like we only have to pay one price, because I can pay one price to download a movie, and I, like if there's five people in the room, we're all watching the movie. So that means that instead of five people paying for a movie, now only one person is paying for the movie. So that just decreased the amount of money that a movie can be can make. So in order to exactly. maintain competitive, of course they're going to put out uh, you know the teaser and then a trailer and then a few months later another trailer and they're just kind of you know it kind of peppered out there in a, about a year prior to the movie coming out because they want to keep people's interest up there enough to where they want to actually go to a theater to watch this kind of movie because it's you know, because the superhero movies, the action movies, the big comedies have become more the tentpole movies, whereas regular movies just don't get get the attention as much as those movies do. Now, I also think it comes down to licensing, <coughs> license rights or licensing rights, where the streaming service says no, we want this, don't take it, don't take it to this streaming service, which also kind of dampers the um the viewership as well yeah that's true too but i think um this is just a new 
or technology that's relatively new in the market for watching movies for entertainment. And I'm going to take you back in the Wayback Machine a few years. And <laughs> Let's go back to the future. <laughs> and because I remember when when VCRs or and VHS came out, were starting to become popular back in the early 80, late 70s, early 80s, one of the big things that uh, the, the studios were complaining about was they were worried that people were going to record movies on TV. Like if it shows up on TV or if they where if they had two VCRs, then they could play the movie and record it onto a blank tape and distribute it. So there was a big, big uh, lawsuit or it was a big legal hassle with all the major studios trying to block the ability for people to buy VCRs and to, and to rent VHS tapes in order to watch movies that were being released on VHS tapes. So that format was, was, uh, was being... Uh, hamstrung by the the, the studios because they were worried about losing revenue from it, but it actually went in the opposite direction. Actually, the, uh, Hollywood was able to gain more revenue because the movie would come out in the theater, and usually about a year, six months to a year after, it would be released to video. So they were actually able to get people to buy a ticket to go watch the movie, and then a year later, they were able to get people to buy the movie or rent the movie, and, and you know, like rental companies had to pay a lot of money in order to to buy just one copy of a of a cassette mm-hmm. so they were actually able to kind of almost double their investment or double their their money and you know their profit in their investment in a movie back then so they actually stopped you know worrying about like oh well, this is going to take money out of our pocket and they actually put more money into their pocket uh as it turned out so so yeah so i think you're seeing the same thing it's like every time a new format comes out or a new way of of entertainment there's always a, that initial backlash by the people who are worried that it's going to take money out of the pockets of investors or money out of the pockets of everybody involved with the production or the, even the, the companies themselves uh, until they realize that actually this is, you know, it's actually another revenue stream that we can, uh, we can tap into. That's definitely a pain in the ass. Especially now that we got so, so many different streaming platforms just like with the um <clears throat> like with um the shoot now my man's going blank. The just the Justice League um movie that um the Snyder Cut. Yeah. How that's now exclusive to HBO Max. The only way you're gonna be able to see that is if you buy an HBO Max subscription now. Mm-hmm. Well it's Warner Brothers property, so and Warner Brothers owns HBO, so you know. You know, color that book. <laughs> that's just that's getting on my nerves. Well, I guess it's, I I can go back to my VHS argument. There was there were so many video stores out there that you could rent video movies from. There was, you know, Blockbuster, Hollywood. There was the mom and pop places. Like you go just about anywhere. The competition for a while there had just became so tight that you could go anywhere uh you, there were local stores there were national stores international stores where you could go to rent a movie and so it was like okay well the only difference between these places was the availability and how much you might they might charge you to watch a movie so now you have all these streaming services like i said you got youtube you got amazon you've got uh 
HBO Max coming out, and you've got CBS All Access. You got all these different. Everybody wants to do get into streaming now, and of course, I haven't even mentioned the the king of them all, Netflix. Uh, so you have all these streaming services, and, and the markets become flooded with it. So it's like, but it, and people are like, I remember when this stuff started coming out. It was like, oh wow, you know, I could just cut my cable, uh, my cable away or satellite and just stream stuff online. The only problem is, is that by the time you get you you pay for the subscription fee for Hulu, Netflix, YouTube, all these different streaming services in yeah, order to get the content the you price. want. And they're all about the same price, and you get the content you want. You basically have decided, okay, my account is going to get hit by 10 different subscription services in a month. That's going to cost me about the same as me having cable now. <laughs> that, that's exactly my point, saying, man, it's aggravating that the streaming services are getting exclusive deals. If you already got a Hulu account, Netflix, Disney Plus, now you got to go out and get HBO Max. You end up spending twice the amount of money just to watch one thing. Yeah. Well, like Hulu, uh, you know, you can watch TV shows with Hulu, uh, which you can you can watch TV shows with Netflix, and Netflix will pretty much stream TV shows, but it's usually shows that have already episodes that have already played on regular TV. Yeah. Hulu, you can watch them pretty much as soon as they play, but you pay extra for that. And by the time you've paid for your internet bill, like your cable, whatever, wherever you get your provider, your internet through. You pay their bill, and then you pay the bill for the um, extra Hulu uh, subscription service to get uh, pretty much a, a crap load of content. You basically are paying the same as you pay with cable. Uh, so, so it really hasn't. It doesn't really save you any money. But, but yeah, it'd be nice if you could get like a, now. Now it's probably going to get to the point where it's like, here's your internet package deal. <laughs> Instead of just getting internet, they'll probably have to come up with package deals where it's like if you pay a hundred bucks a month you'll get all these subscription services available to you all you gotta do is just log into them actually they already are doing that but it's not with internet service providers it's with cell phone networks because i get i get hulu um i get hulu through sprint and i got a couple of co-workers they get um they get netflix and um disney plus through theirs which i just can't remember what their um cell phone provider is well, I get Disney Plus through Verizon, um, and it's it's so far it's been free for the first year. So, Damn, cat. <laughs> it's been free for the first year. So, uh, but but uh, you know, but even Disney doesn't provide everything. It's like you can't. I think I was trying to look up. Uh, oh, she wants back in the room. <laughs> I need to get a cat door. I think I was trying to look up uh, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, franchise, the entire series, but it only had two movies. But they didn't have all of them. When was this? Because I watched the whole series of it. Maybe it wasn't Pirates of the Caribbean. Maybe it was a different one. It might have been a different series, but there was it was only two movies that were available. Oh, I know what it was. It was, it was uh, the X-Men. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, all, not all the X-Men were up there, and that was kind of, I was like, well, you know, because we, we watched the first one because my fiancé hasn't watched all the movies. Um, but we watched, we watched the first one that came out in 2000. And then later on, we decided, well, let's go watch the second one. And then that way and get her caught up on the series, you know, good or bad, whatever right. movies that came out. But not all of them were there. It was like it was, there was the first X-Men movie and there was X-Men First Class. And I think that was it. 
So it was like, there's like two, at least two movies in between that, you know, plus, you know, the, uh, sorry, excuse for Wolverine <laughs> that, that are kind of in the middle. So you, you kind of lose something if you can't, you know, it's like, there's no sense in watching first class if you can't watch the other movies that come ahead of it. So, but they're not there. So that was kind of, you know, that was just, that was kind of, uh, I don't want to say infuriating because why would I get infuriated about that? But it was just, it was kind of inconvenient to not have, you know, it says, well, here's a, you know, you click on a, on the uh, thumbnail and it says X-Men series and there's like two. <laughs> That's not a series. <laughs> it's not even a trilogy. Going back to, um, going back to Batman though, I do got one question for you. Joaquin Phoenix. What about him? What did you think is his portrayal as um, Joker? Whew. This is going to get a lot of backlash. You know, if we had like more than 10 people to watch this podcast. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, portraying the character, Joaquin Phoenix did a great job playing as the Joker. Uh, his version of the Joker was... It was probably more of the the more even vi- more violent version, uh, and I don't. Th- I think Joaquin Phoenix did a good job of not trying to play off Heath Ledger's version of the Joker. Maybe uh, there was a, an element of it there, but there was definitely an element. You could easily see that. Um, but ju- but definitely different. But I thought the movie went too long on trying to bring him around to being becoming the Joker. Right. I mean, it's like I wanted to see more of him being the Joker in the movie. And I think the movie was more of a uh, psychological profile of a guy who was just going off the deep end because of his, you know, things happening in his life. It was, it was more like a movie that I would have seen in the 70s than a movie that I would have seen now with, you know. Um, yeah, I can easily see that. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe, but like there were a lot of movies that came out in the 70s that were especially with a lot of uh, up-and-coming directors and writers that were from New York, by the way, I think, that you could see a lot of the elements that they were throwing into their scripts and throwing into their movies where it was more of a, kind of like Taxi Driver, where it was more of a profile of the breaking down of society and the breaking down of uh, the human psychology uh, with a world that seems to be spiraling out of control economically and socially and so forth. And we're seeing that again now, um, but the problem is, is that uh, you know all that changed when Star Wars came around. It was like Star Wars Jaws when those actually defined what a blockbuster was. It's like that changed people's minds about what kind of movies they wanted to see, uh, and that that opened up a door for more of the uh, action, adventure, sci-fi, and so forth, and uh, or um, or space opera uh, and so forth. So that changed people's minds and kind of put started moving them into a direction of with the movies you saw in, in the eighties with Spielberg and, and Lucas, uh, creating the kind of movies that they did, and uh, uh, so. But I, that's what that was kind of an element that I saw with Joker was with the Joker was it was kind of an element of those movies that came out in the seventies before Star Wars, where it was, you know, like this is a, a film version psychological profile of. Um, you know, like this is how society is breaking down and this is how people are going to react to it. So it, it tries to put that, that question in people's minds, you know, is he right for acting this way as a result of, you know, a world that's trying to do us wrong as a society or is it just, you know, 
him having to try to figure out, you know, how to live in that kind of world. I'm really curious on how the, um, when they do the sequel, because they introduce Harley, they briefly introduce Harley Quinn at the very end of the movie. Oh, right. Well, that's, that's probably something I went in the right direction because if they're introducing an extra character, then that means if they're introducing Harley Quinn at the end. And that tells me like, a lot of people say that this is kind of a standalone thing, but if that's the case, then I don't think they're, they're going to make this a standalone. It may even be, even though like Matt Reeves was saying that his Batman was sort of standalone from what's been out there before. I think they may it. It could be a case, in my opinion, where there's a where Joaquin Phoenix's Joker might actually be a surprise for that movie. That they're actually going to tie those two together. I could be wrong. That's but, an interesting. That's an interesting um, way to look at it. Because if they're going to introduce, if they're going to bring Harley Quinn into, you know, kind of like bring Harley Quinn a little bit into the Joker, then that means that they're actually tying. In, in a way, they're they're trying to tie it to the overall. You know, um, and it also, it also make um, it also make the Joker a lot older because in Joaquin's movie, Bruce Wayne's a child, and it would it, it, the time the timing would work. It really would if 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 uh, Matt Reeves' version of Batman now he's older and the Joker's older, mm -hmm. um, and more experienced in his in his crime spree. Yeah, he's got a lot of time to deepen that character. That's still making me really wonder who in the world is this extra villain in the movie that has not been seen that's kind of pulling the strings like you were mentioning earlier. Well, I think we just announced it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't I mean, if it's not that, if I'm it's not what it is, uh, yeah, so it would have to be. Could, I don't see it. I don't see it being Scarecrow. It can't be Mr. Freeze because absolutely nothing ties that in. It's got to be joke, the Joker because they can't make a Batman movie without the Joker. <laughs> they just can't not. <laughs> That's easy to do, actually. He's got like 17 villains. Joker's just the most iconic one. He is the most iconic. Probably overused one, um, honestly. Going with that, actually, there, even though it was way different than the um, comic version, I have to say Tom Hardy rocked Bane even though he looked... Nothing like the guy. <laughs> well, the, the, because he wasn't going to look like the guy. Because it was... Uh, and they also made him like ridiculously intelligent. And Bane's kind of dumb. Oh. Well... He's actually... He's, and in the, in the, well, in some parts of the comic books, not all of them. And I'm sure if you're listening, Philip, you're going to correct me. And you're going to say, how can you say that you're a Batman fan? There was a one part where he was a, he was a luchador. And he would mean he was nothing but a roided out wrestler, right? And then because I was actually kind of used to that portrayal and him just being a you know just that monster junkie like he like he was with Poison Ivy, yeah. And then they bring in him, they bring in a guy that acts like Sherlock Holmes almost, right? And I was just that. I mean, even though I enjoyed the hell out of it, it threw me off. I had no problem with uh, Tom Hardy's version of Bane. Um, in the, the Dark Knight Rises, I actually liked it. I did not like the version of Bane that was uh, a lackey to Poison Ivy in Batman 
uh, and Robin, obviously. I think Bane was probably one of the more threatening characters or threatening villains to Batman that's been in the comics, even though he's supposed to be more more uh, brawn and less brain. But but that's the point, is that he doesn't have to be that smart. He's just, he's just strong and he breaks Batman's back. And... <clears throat> But to make him intelligent and to make make him uh, as a member of the League of Shadows just brings that. It's it's meant to bring that that trilogy to full circle. That he starts with the League of Shadows, and he he's no longer a member of the League of Shadows because you know he doesn't agree with what they want to do as far as trying to destroy societies in order to build them back up. That that become more too corrupt. So. <clears throat> So then, when the third movie comes along, it's like it comes back to that with Bane being being the uh, de facto leader of that organization to do exactly what you know Bruce Wayne did not want to have happen to Gotham because mm-hmm. he, had, in a way, he had presumably cleaned it up. He cleaned up Gotham with his tactics. Um, but you know, but uh, so I I thought it was a, a good way of bringing in a character i thought it was was um was, i'm like i agree with you i liked i like tom hardy's version of bane in that movie um or playing the way he played the character uh, i didn't have a problem with it i know a lot of people did but again you know and they talk about star wars fans being overly toxic <laughs> but uh but yeah I, I i enjoyed it and i think that was that again it goes back to what i was saying before about the realism it actually brings uh a a believable realism to comic book a comic book property in, in the way that it's like, well, this could happen. This, cause I think that's one, to me, that's one of the appeals of taking a, a comic book property and making it seem like it could actually happen in real life. That's, that's one of the appeals of it being from a comic book to a movie is that, you know, this has some, some legitimacy to it. It has some feasibility to it. Even, even if it's a, you know, even if it's a character that that you know would never really actually exist, like Captain Marvel with with the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Superman with uh, DC. Of course, there's no one who's ever going to come from another planet, become hugely strong, you know, by the rays of our sun, you know, and be a, an actual where the a whole superhero, you know, mythology even came from out of uh, Superman. But that would never happen. But but making it seem like it could happen. You know the realism of it is yeah. what I enjoy out of movies like that. Um, I I think that that gives it a sense of more of that wonder and and creativity that I enjoy out of movies like that. Yeah, it's always nice when they add realism to it, and make it seem like it actually can happen, instead of throwing off the wall shit to the script. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of ironic. We watch these movies to get away from reality. <laughs> yeah, we crave it to be real in the movie. <laughs> because we want to be able to build our own reality. <clears throat> Even if that reality is very closely matched to what we really experience, the fact that it still takes us a little outside of it is what we enjoy. Because, like, this could happen. Maybe it could happen one day. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But maybe it could happen. <laughs> Or we could just be weird and have a water bubble and Aquaman <laughs> talk underwater. <laughs> yeah, well, how else are you going to talk underwater? <laughs> Man, the dude like straight up had like gills at one point. <laughs> I was like, what the? <laughs> well, speaking of Aquaman, I thought they did a pretty good job with that movie too. I was, 
surprise. I mean, it's like because Aquaman is like the, the character that like gets the most, you know, crap out of all the the DC characters sometimes. Well, when you got a when you got a drawing of him being led by two fucking little tiny ass fish, and he's using it as a, using it as a. I guess a, skis. Yeah, skis. Yeah. I was, I was, I was, the first time I ever saw that, I was like, "You got to be kidding me! No wonder you're laughed at." It's like you know, are you a superhero or do you have a job at SeaWorld? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely the early stages of Aquaman were laughable, but once they ta- once they take away all the fish, he actually becomes somewhat of a decent character. Well, now anyway. Yeah. Well, well, actually, all they really did was just sexualize him, get a hot guy to play him. <laughs> yeah, Jason Momoa. Yeah, people don't people don't watch it for maybe the book. Well, maybe they do, but they don't watch it for Aquaman. They watch it for Jason Momoa's physique. Right. Well, I mean, in the in the uh, I don't know about the comic book so much, but I know in, in the uh, cartoon he was blonde headed, and yeah. Jason Momoa is not blonde. And he also didn't have long hair. No, he didn't have long hair. But again, you know. Put him in street clothes, he pretty much looked like a Nazi poster boy. <laughs> right. But, you know, that's why you have to make subtle change. Well, no, it's not really subtle. Uh, Jason Moore, is not, there's nothing subtle about him. But <laughs> but you have time. to make subtle change. You have to make certain changes, I think, in order to enhance the characterization so that those changes are like, well, this is a, a breath of fresh air in this character. This is something that will make people want to go watch it. Like, oh, okay, this is, you know, uh, it, it seems like it's it's something that I want to watch or I'm going to want to yeah. watch. Instead of it being something like, oh, well, Aquaman, do I really want to see a movie about Aquaman? But then when you look, when they, you know, you know the particular actors that they have in the movie, like, oh, this this seems like this would work. And I do have to say, that submarine scene was pretty fucking badass. That was badass. Um, there were, but that movie, unlike any others, it had it had moments in it that you're just like, come on, <laughs> you know, like when they found his mom, and you know, spoiler alert, and things like that. It was, um, you know, it's like really, Did you you were here the whole time. <laughs> it was kind of like when uh, where is she? <laughs> well, it was kind of it was kind of like when they when they brought when they were able to bring back um, when they were able to bring back uh, uh, the original. What was it? Uh, uh, wasp f- back from the quantum realm. Yeah, in uh, in the in the um, uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, mm-hmm. the second Ant Man movie, it was like, okay, how was she there this whole time? It was like it, I thought the quantum realm was like there was no time in that movie, but then it's like because they have you know Michelle Pfeiffer in there, it's like she's older. It's like I thought the quantum realm had this like there was no concept of time in the quantum quantum realm. That's why they were able to go into different time streams in order to go back to get the infinity stones in, in, in game. So why was she older in, you know, what, why, why wouldn't they not find Michelle Pfeiffer much young, you know, a much younger version of her. Like if there was no time that would have passed in the quantum realm. Well, he mentioned, he mentions in the movie, he goes, what was, what was three years on earth was 20 seconds for him. Right. I mean, it's just time. It was just a big ass. Well, not a big, it was like astronomical time difference. So there's really no telling exactly how long she was in the quantum realm. Exactly. I guess she could have been in there like, you know, 
longer than than our time, or she could have been there a shorter amount of time than our time. But it's just it, in, in a way, it, it doesn't really match up. But that outside of that, you know, it just seemed like what happened in Aquaman mirrored what was or in Ant Man. It was like yeah. you know, there's a missing mom, and we find her. You know, and she's much older than than she was originally in the you know at the beginning of that movie. You know, it's, it's an older version of her. So they kind of get found in some way. Like they're they're stuck in this place that's like nobody knows, and they find her. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's just it kind of mirrors each other. Those those scenes kind of mirror each other. But I say we'll we'll call it a blooper, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like when it's not real, it's kind of hard to rationalize. It's it. kind of one of those things where you're like, well, you know, <laughs> I can let that slide because it's actually a pretty decent movie. Otherwise, <laughs> that's pretty much what it boils down to, especially when you try to rationalize something that doesn't exist. Yeah, you just well, really end up hurting your mind. Well, that's kind of what makes these these things fun too. Is you know they're not well. Let's hope most people know they're not real. It's like, um, but it, you know it's not real. But it's fun to to ponder and contemplate on some of these things. Yeah, you know it's, it's uh, like, wouldn't it be great if there were if Jedi did exist? You know, in Star Wars, if I, hell, I'd be happy if I could just find a lightsaber. If they could just uh, create a lightsaber, <laughs> that'd be I great. Want, as much as it would be badass to have a lightsaber, I want to be able to use a force. Get away from me. That too. <laughs> but but the point is is that it's like you 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 know there are so many different things in the Star Wars universe. At least when just the, third, the, the original three movies came out, that there was like all these different stories and plot points that you know were hanging out there, or, or characters you heard about, but there was no story behind them. So it's like it's just fun to ponder on on them, to know exactly okay. Well, where did this person come from, or where did this character or this event come from? What was the outcome of it? And it's just it's just fun to come up with that kind of stuff. That's why you get fan fiction, and that's why you get the expanded universe. And it's the same thing with uh, the DC universe. It's like, you know, where these characters come from, and you know how did this happened. So it's just it's one of those things you have conversations about, like, oh yeah, but what about this and. And you just build these stories and these narratives in your own mind that would help to explain it in a way that that just it's just fun to do. And one interesting thing that I read um, the other day, I was going to um, I was going to send you a link, but I got to thinking I would just tell you in person. Um, I can't remember what the website was, but they're actually talking about. Um, revamping Star Wars and it's in a it's in a way that I was not expecting they're talking about um going away from the PC and mm -hmm. taking in the masses saying fuck the 10% yeah Disney's finally announced that what they want to do and if the rumors are correct because you never know how I think these things are coming out but yeah they want to basically reject the social social justice warriors and actually go back to being a customer-driven thing, which is the way it's supposed to be. That's how they're going to make money. You know, you're not going to make money if you're, you know, if you're if you're worried about how you're going to offend people, because uh, you can. If that's the case, nobody would ever get anything done because there's always somebody offended by something. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to have listeners offended by this podcast. <laughs> well, it you know, it, but newsflash: we're not changing shit. Don't like it? Don't listen. And not to get into politics, but yeah, it's it. 
these kind of things can only go on for so long before there's a backlash because people are like, okay, we've heard we've heard your rhetoric, we've heard your argument. Now we want to go back to, you know, just being able to watch a movie and enjoy watching, you know, our watching our entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, and separating the two because it's like you can enjoy something, you can enjoy entertainment without it having to p- pander or teaching us a moral lesson, you know, that we already know. So, you know, we want to be able to, we can, we can under, we can, we can work on one without having to, to at the detriment of the other. So, and that's where, where people want to get back to. They just want to be able to enjoy watching movies and not worrying about any, any crazy social message that's in there. Cause we understand, most people understand where our ills are in our society, good or bad. And, you know, we can tackle those on a different plane for the, 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 the social needs and the political needs, but we don't need to have those messages embedded in our movies and our entertainment to try to teach us something that we don't already know. Most people, luckily, are smart enough to, to know that already. I'm really curious on what Brie Larson did, because apparently she's on Disney's bad side in a big way. Well, she has been at the very forefront of of making a lot of statements and, and her actions with some of the things that she did as soon as she became, as soon as she was announced as uh, Captain Marvel, which was to me, it was very disappointing because I like Brie Larson. I thought she, I've always thought she was an, a really good actress. And when she was announced as Captain Marvel, I was all for it. Cause I was like, she'll make a great Captain Marvel. She's perfect for the role. And, you know, and I watched the movie, and then when I was watching Endgame, I was like, again, it was one of those situations where I was like, I wanted to see her in this movie kicking ass, and I, I didn't, I saw her in le- less, there was less screen time of her in this movie than it was Godzilla and Godzilla, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, you know, uh, I wanted to see more Captain Marvel, because she was supposed, to, as far as I knew, her character was supposed to be taking over the the, the helm of leading the Avengers in the, the new, new phases of Marvel movies. But you didn't see a whole lot of her, and it was kind of disappointing. But then, you know, in real life, the, some of the statements that she's made and some of the things that she's done, it's like, well, you know, you're going to lose a lot of a lot of fans because you're not going to they may they may or may not agree with you, but they they definitely just don't want to see the movies and the entertainment that they enjoy to be clouded by uh, to, to be clouded by. Uh, you know, your your personal social views. You know, if you have those, that's great. Everybody has them and you're entitled to them. But, you know, you should not at the detriment of just trying to have normal, good entertainment out there. And, yeah, she's, uh, I think she's just gotten on their shit list because she's been at the forefront of a lot of that and has caused a lot of those problems. And, and I think she's about to get shit canned by Disney if she can't turn it around and actually, you know, um, and actually just like, you know, separate the two, you know, say what you need to say for yourself and then do your job for Disney and Marvel. And that's all you got to yeah, do, so you know, pretty much a separating personal from business. And I may not agree with everything she says and she does, but she's entitled to them. She's entitled to have those opinions and to have those and to feel that way. Uh, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, like I said, it shouldn't be at the detriment of, of your work. Mm-hmm. I see. I also, I also read, you know, Going with the whole getting away from the ten percent, Disney was surprised at the reception of um, Elizabeth Olsen. You know, being Scarlet Witch, they're actually planning on maximizing her character, doing more with her 
So I'm actually curious on what that's going to be. There's like fans like loved her as Scarlet Witch. Yeah, she did a great job. She's done a great job as, as Scarlet Witch, and um, and I I would like to see more of her her character because I think she that's one of those female characters in the in the comics that's really taken taken a, a, a front seat to uh, to the um, the whole the Marvel Entertainment uh, franchise. Uh, it's one that everybody <laughs> wants to see. It just made me remember that scene <laughs> from Avengers. <laughs> where she comes down and just destroys the whole place, and um, and um, damn it, I cannot remember the character's name at all, and it's and it's I'm embarrassing myself doing this, but when but when um the girl in Wakanda she goes, where was she? She'd been up there this whole time. Oh yeah, <laughs> I absolutely love that. She, yeah, me too. <laughs> She's been up here to, up there this whole time. <laughs> and then when she and then when she was in front with Thanos, she goes, "You took everything from me." I just I love the energy she brought in that line. You I mean you felt that shit? Yeah. Well, I mean she she in uh, in game she almost killed Thanos herself by herself. Mm-hmm. Which is the other thing is like when I was watching in game, the I mean Captain Marvel supposed to be more powerful than Thanos as far as I know, you know, and he was able to defeat her. So, but I think, but I know why they did that. They led it up. They had to lead it up to. The confrontation between him and Tony Stark as Iron Man, so mm-hmm. that's why you know everything else kind of fell away to them. It, the climax of the movie coming to that. Um. But uh, I just think it's interesting that Batman has become the most iconic property for the DC. You, the DC EU. You would think that. Or really, just in general, uh, comic books, movies, TV shows, animated, uh, video games—you would have thought that Superman would have taken that helm, but that that property languished for so long after Superman two, because three and four were not good. Uh, the original Christopher Reeve series, and then the property languished. I was language- more of a fan of the, of the um, animated series than the um, which the animated movies? series. Superman? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, again, because you can go, you can go, there's the, the field is wide open for animation versus the actual live action movies. But, I mean, it was, it was, it was Christopher Reeve's Superman that made everything else possible because up until that point, it was, you know, those, those shows were hokey or those movies were hokey. Like we said before, like we mentioned before, you know, the costuming, the, the writing, just overall look and the setting and the feel uh, it just wasn't that great, but then Superman comes out, and and even its tagline when the movie was was the trailer came out was "You'll believe a man can fly," because technology had advanced with ILM and all these, and it would, you know after Star Wars and Jaws and everything else that they could actually make it seem like Christopher Reeve was actually flying in the movie. So, you know, it actually they actually did a very good job of trying to make bring that realism to the characterization of Superman, uh, and it actually opened the door. For everything else to come after that, uh, superhero-wise, as far as more realistic type comic book characters and movies, but uh, but it languished for so long uh, that uh, until Superman Returns in two thousand five, and then eventually Man of Steel, that Batman just kind of took the the reins on the, for the DC and became the mo- more iconic character, especially in uh, 
in the movies and, and animation and TV. Yeah, this is the... I had to look at it because I couldn't remember what year it came out. Yeah, but the um, the 1940s version, that's the um, Superman cartoon I love the most. That's actually what got me into Superman. Yeah. And that's, to me, that's Superman, as far as, you know, being on television, That was to me, that was his best portrayal because he was actually... I mean, Chris Marie, I mean Chris, Christopher Reeves' version was good, but I thought the cartoon series was more of a better presentation of him because it didn't matter where he was in the world. He was helping everybody in the movies. It felt, it's always felt like he was exclusive to the United States. Yeah. And he's supposed to be a hero for all, not just, I'm not going to Turkey. I'm a U.S. citizen. (laughs) Well, I think you can chalk that up to the times um, because you had Superman came out um, it was, and also that version. Well, with Christopher Reeves as well, that version didn't destroy almost an entire city trying to beat up um, Zed. Zod. Oh, Zod. <laughs> Zed's <laughs> my, dead. My, my, my <laughs> Power Fiction. Well, my head went to Power Rangers for some odd reason. Lord Who's Zed. Zed. Zed's dead <laughs> for Pulp Fiction. <laughs> but that, that that always aggravated me. I'm like, this motherfucker can go from galaxy to galaxy. This, Throw his ass up into space and fight. Don't destroy half of half of Metropolis. That I was like, uh, you're you're wanting to save you're wanting to save the city and save the civilians. Yet you're flying through ninety skyscrapers, costing the city billions uh-huh. of dollars of repair work. That pissed me off. Well, here's the thing, people. When you have something like Superman that's been out there for so many years and he's become the Boy Scout that he is, and originally he wasn't supposed to be. You know, it was because of the the. World War Two and the post post war Cold War era that was like he became the American Boy Scout. Yeah, he actually you know, followed Hitler in the comics. Yeah, you know, exactly. And Superman is not a Boy Scout. Superman is like anyone else. He has his feelings. He's you know, I mean, he's an alien, but you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, he he feels that anger and, and everything else. I hear that a lot from people about Man of Steel, where he, you know, it's like he destroyed a city. You have to understand that he had just basically become Superman in that movie. He was not, he was not, he had not been Superman for many, many years up to that point, where he would, you know, know how to understand his powers as well, or to control it, or you know, and he was fighting three or four villains that were as strong as he was. So he was not able to just have some kind of like keep some kind of control over everything he had to be as powerful or more powerful than them in order to destroy them just like i hear the comment or the the people talking about how you know superman like oh well he's not supposed to kill but he he uh kills zod in that movie and it's like that's not how else are you going to kill someone who's the same has the same power structure as you how how else are you going to defeat them you can't put zod in jail in in a human jail he'll break out you can't you know, there's nothing you can do, at least up to that point, that you can control Zod. The Phantom Zone's gone. You can't control him. You can't get rid of him. The only way you're going to stop him is to kill him. You know, and Superman I is no, I not... I had no problem with him killing him. <laughs> My problem was him destroying the city. <laughs> well, again, it, but that goes back to the fact that, that you know, it, Zod was just as guilty of helping to destroy the city as Superman was. And Superman was responding to that. And Superman is guilty in the fact that he has not learned at that point where his, you know, how to control his powers to a degree of like, okay, I'm going to try to avoid destruction or anything like that. 
And I think that's just minimal in the whole grand scheme of the movie. I thought the movie was great. The only problem I had with the movie was after the fact, when Metropolis was suddenly rebuilt <laughs> in just a small amount of time from the time that when, you know, after, you know, he, he uh, cracks Zod's neck and then, you know, and then when, uh, you know, he's going to the Daily Planet to actually start his life in what we know from the comics as Clark Kent, as a reporter, you know, uh, as his disguise as Superman, you know, it's like suddenly he's, you know, riding a bike down, you know, in Manhattan and or Metropolis and the city is magically rebuilt. And it's like, you just destroyed a city. <laughs> the city was like half of the city was destroyed by everything, those events. It's like, you know, it took them, what, something like almost 10 years to completely rebuild uh, downtown with the Twin Towers after the t- Twin Towers fell. Yeah. It took them almost 10 years in order to, to fix that. And it's like, you, you, that's not going to happen in like less than a year of rebuilding the entire uh, downtown or midtown uh, metropolis. So that's the one problem I had with the movie. That and... Yeah, big-ass blooper. <laughs> well, that and I thought that the spacecraft that was hidden in the ice, that would have been great for that to be his fortress of solitude. The fact that Zod found it and was flying it back to metropolis to help defeat Superman, I thought was a bad choice. I thought that that spaceship with all of its technology and its records and everything would have been a great version of, um, of, uh, the fortress of solitude for Superman because it would have had everything he needed in order to understand, you know, where he comes from, his race, the records, you know, to be able to talk to his father, to understand his place in the universe and, and and everything and how he's supposed to help humanity. But instead, but instead, he, uh, you know, it gets flown and crashed in downtown Metropolis. And it's like, oh, they wasted an opportunity there, I felt, with that. But those are the only two main problems I had with that movie otherwise. But I thought it was a great way to bring the character back um, in a movie as, you know, as a new Superman movie, Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. For, instead of it being the second movie that like it was in the original with Christopher Reeve, it was him fighting uh, Zod, which is um, General Zod, which is probably his probably the worst enemy he could probably fight because you know he he would have he's Kryptonian, so he would eventually have all the powers that Superman has. So I thought that was a good way a good good way to have a very strong villain in a Superman um, franchise. Because, let's face it, Superman otherwise doesn't have a whole lot of strong villains. Other than Batman in a Kryptonian, I guess, armored suit, something, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That was probably one of my, well, outside of of them trying to kill him and also, you know, take out Doomsday. I thoroughly enjoyed that fight between... Batman and Superman. Yeah, but, but that's also but that's also me being biased as well because I'm like I enjoyed rules Superman go fuck yourself. <laughs> I, I I enjoyed the fight too, but I thought I thought the movie should have been mostly that. It it should have been like a round one, round two, round three kind of situation. Yeah, I could highly agree with that. It should have been it should have been a situation where they fought first and then Batman learns his lessons and he comes back and comes back hard with Superman and, and you know and they and then they have one drag out huge fight. That movie should have been like ninety percent Batman versus Superman instead mm-hmm. of it being ninety percent oh uh you know, let's 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 Why'd just, you say that name? Yeah. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> it should have been it should have been more of that cuz that's what the title was. It was Batman versus Superman and they were saying that it was actually supposed to be a sequel for Man of Steel. Yeah. But okay, you could argue that, but then at the same time it's like, well, it, it should have been more of a standalone thing. It could have been a standalone. It didn't have to be a direct sequel to Superman, but they could have made at least three or four more movies before they actually tried to build up the Justice League. And it goes back to what I said before, and a lot of people, I'm sure, agree that they just tried to they tried to build this this cinematic universe a lot earlier than they needed to. They had, I mean, you've got a property that's existed for so many years, for decades, almost a century, and it's not like it would be going away anytime soon. So you had time to be like, well, we could sit on our loyals on this and and do it right. And it, you know, it probably could have been even better than Marvel from what Marvel was doing, but they, you know, cause they've been in the game much longer than Marvel had been. I think they, I think it was intimidation. They just, they wanted to, they wanted to match Marvel so quick mm-hmm. and, and compete. And instead of making a decent product, they just did one gigantic rush job. Oh, of course they did. And it's cost them, but luckily, you know, They've, I think they've kind of learned a lesson, like I said, because they've somebody finally said, "Hey, what about this whole, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earth thing and multi, the multiverse? Let's let's kind of infuse that into it and say, well, this happened because it's on this other version and this is this other version." And I'm like, thumbs up to that. <laughs> That's the way it should work. Absolutely, it works. It makes sense, and it's actually pretty a pretty damn good idea. You know, I mean, Marvel was just starting to get into that too, but but this is something completely different. So, right, I think I think it's a great idea, and I hope that they're smart enough to push forward with it the right way that will actually tie it all together. And you'd be like, well, we've had this cinematic universe for years and didn't even realize that we were just we were sitting on this gold mine that we already had built, and now we can bring it all together and just create this huge thing. And again, the fact that they're bringing. Michael Keaton's character, uh, Michael Ke- Keaton's characterization of Batman back as Batman '89, and they're bringing Ben Affleck back. Uh, he's actually supposed to make us like a cameo in the new Flash movie because he's, it's like Flash is going from that universe to a different one, and he's actually and Michael Keaton's supposed to be in the Flash movie also. His version's supposed to be in the in the movie, from what I understand. And then of course, um, you know, of course. Ben Affleck's only supposed to do just a little bit of much, somewhat of a cameo as as his version of Batman for the Flash movie, and of course what he's also doing to help fix up some of the scenes that were lost for the uh, Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. But I want I, you know, I think Ben Affleck's back in a good place now, where I think that if he's enjoying what he's doing, he may actually just continue to do that version of Batman. And I, I, I've always thought his version of Batman was awesome. So I hope he continues to do it because I think that they can really do some good things with his version of it. It makes me wonder if um, him being a reboot is what helped him out because before reboot, you know, they fired him due to him having alcohol problems. He became a, he became a liability. So with them getting cleaned up mm. and doing reboot, I think that is what helped him. Because it wasn't it wasn't only a couple only a few months later after reboot came out that you find out that he's reprising his role after being fired. Well, that's actually been said that it was because he he got past his alcoholism that he that you know they were able to bring him back and wanted to bring him back. But I think it's also because when Zack Snyder decided to like 
well, okay, my, my issues with my family are finally resolved, so I can go back to this. Right. Because people wanted to see what Zack Snyder was originally going to do with that movie. So that just that just got the snowball rolling where it was like people were like, well, if we, we want to see this. We want to see what Zack Snyder's original concept and vision was for this, for Justice League. And the fact that they were willing to, uh, that the actors were willing to come back in order to reprise some of their roles to refilm some of the scenes that they didn't get a chance to film. Because mm-hmm. it was, from what I understand, that the film was, I think it was like, what, 75, 70% filmed, even though it wasn't, it was only 20% or 20 to 30% actually finished product, but they still had a lot of scenes that it just hadn't added special effects to. Yeah, there was, a, there was a, from what I read, there was a lot that they cut out. Right. And there was a lot of stuff that they cut out when, um, when they were uh, setting up the film. Which is probably a reason why it didn't do as good as it could have done. Because you had two different versions. You had basically, you had two different visions. You had Zack Snyder's uh, vision and you had, um, um, why is it I can never remember these damn names? Um, and, uh, this guy should be put on the spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, so you had two different, uh, directors, two different visions and you're trying to put one that's more serious and dark mixed in with one that's more comical, you know, yeah, that's like throwing you know, you're trying to put chocolate in my peanut butter or peanut butter in my chocolate, but you're also <laughs> throwing the milk in there and it's just fucking it up. <laughs> That's an interesting analogy. <laughs> if this ends up doing as well as I'm hoping it does, it makes me wonder if it's going to become more canon and Ben is going to stay Batman for a while. Or are they going to, or is Batman going to get recast again outside of what rapper Pat, um, Pat, Pattinson's um, version is going to be? I don't, I don't think they should recast. You know, it really depends. But they can't keep recasting Batman. They really can't. They've got to come up with. They need to come up with someone that can actually take this role and and carry it, or at mm. least for a while, at least long enough for them to correct some of the mistakes of the past and to have someone solid in that role that is able to that you're like this is this is our guy this is our our, our batman yeah i want i wanted to be taken the way hugh jackman took wolverine like no one you think wolverine you when you hear wolverine you automatically think hugh jackman exactly that's a perfect example of like you know that's you, you think want, wolverine you I think I, hugh jackman and yeah, that's, that's what i what want that's be. what i want to happen i would love that to happen with the joker as well just someone kind of claim the title so to speak even though we've yeah. had iconic we've had iconic spots in the past but for, but for a name to have a lengthy reign for a while well i think it, that would have been heath ledger if he hadn't passed away i think heath ledger would have been the definitive joker and i think if he was still still alive he would have been in the suicide squad movie if it again if it had been the writing had been better and i but it probably would have been because man I hadn't even thought about that. If he had been, if he was able to still play the Joker Damn, yeah. for Suicide Squad, I think that would that movie would, would would have been rewritten completely different around his characterization mm-hmm. of that of of the Joker, and that movie probably would have come out like a, much a, much better. That's than an it did. excellent example. Damn, I cannot believe I had not even thought of that. But I guess because you know Heath is not with us anymore. Yeah, but him and Suicide Squad, him, him and Suicide. Suicide would have been amazing. He would have actually been like the main character of that movie, which is why he should have been, 
but he wasn't because he, uh, Jared Leto's version just didn't pan out as well, and they had to cut out a lot of his scenes. And I don't think he did a bad job. I think, but again, I think Jared fell into that same trap of trying to do a Joker that was sort of a version of Heath Ledger's characterization, and it just doesn't work because it's like it's like you still want to see it, but but to watch another actor do it, it's kind of like you know, it's kind of it's a, it's, it's a balance that you can't blame Heath. Uh, Jared Leto for not falling into that trap other than him you know because he was like just doing weird stuff off set you know to the other car- you know to other yeah. actors he was sending them crazy things in the mail and, and he was trying to do the same thing that Heath did where he was trying to, to yeah he was trying to uh, go method acting with, with it and it just it was more disturbing than it was enduring so um, I, was, I had no I had no problem with his acting because I thought he was doing a good job mm-hmm. And this, the one thing that I always try to get people to understand, I still can't. I still don't judge him as being a good or bad Joker because yeah. he's barely even in the movie. We didn't get to really see the full performance that Jared could let out. Exactly. I think that was part of the problem. I think that Jared probably put on a great performance as the Joker. It's just that we weren't given enough to actually make it seem like it was a fully fleshed out character. Mm-hmm. And the other problem, the other thing too is that, but you could still bring him back to play the Joker, just a different version, because if they, if DC continues to go with this multiverse ideal, he could still play a version of a Joker from a different universe. That like would be the, um, that would just be a completely different. The um the Harley Quinn movie that came out yeah. as a standalone. Mm-hmm. He was originally supposed to be in that. Oh, Birds it, of Prey. Yeah, he was. He was originally in it. You know, they had filmed some scenes that they completely scrapped him because of the backlash. Oh, uh, see, was, that's just unfair to him. I really think it is because they he, they wrote him out at the very beginning of the movie. He does, he's not even on screen. Right. Well, I think there was also like. There was a lot of people just didn't want him to be in the Joker too. They end up, you know, the movie with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I think there was initially there was some talk that that he might reprise his role, and uh, to some degree, um, but a lot of people were just like, no, 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 we don't want Jared, we don't want Jared. But again, I feel like I think it's I, I, I just feel like it's unfair to him because it, yeah, he he's a good actor. He and didn't I, get the proper chance to get the performance. Yeah, but they say the same thing about Heath Ledger. I mean, when when he when he wasn't again just like everything else when he was announced to be the Joker for the Dark Knight, a lot of people were like Heath Ledger, him, the pretty boy, you know, yada yada yada. But I mean, and then and then you saw his performance, and it was just like, wow, <laughs> night and day representation. Yes, he Man. just absolutely owned that role, and it and it. Uh, you know, and like us, and unfortunately, nobody has been able to properly match it. I mean, like he, he actually took that role, and and like people were like, now nobody saw him as stealing that character from from Jack Nicholson. People saw him creating his version of it, and and he has. So it's like, so you people are able to separate the two. They're able to see a, a version of Joker from Jack the way Jack Nicholson played it. In Batman, and they're able to see the way uh, Heath Ledger played it in The Dark Knight. And I think if Jared, and I, 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 would, I would just say that if Jared Leto had played as the Joker in a Batman movie, it, it'd probably be the same way. They probably would have seen his version as his own standalone version. Yeah. That that probably would have worked, and people would have been like, "Oh, he did a great job." 
I just think they're being unfair to 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 uh, Jared. I had no problem with the Joker of his version of the Joker. I mean, he basically, in my opinion, he basically got bullied out of the role completely. Yeah, I think so too. But uh, you know, just like everything else, like people didn't like uh, Ben Affleck playing Batman, but now they're like, oh, they're all they're all freaking jizzing over the fact he's coming back. And they're going to be the same way about Jared Leto at some point. They'll be like, oh, they need to bring Jared Leto back. But I thought you hated him. But he was so good. <laughs> and they're going to be wanting him back for the role Wait, at some why point. Why is that asshole professional male dressed up like Batman? <laughs> <laughs> I had to do that plug. Yeah. There. <laughs> Batman likes to message you in very uncomfortable places. <laughs> You mean the back of a Volkswagen? <laughs> I guess in the back of a Batmobile. <laughs> yeah. There is no back to the Batmobile. I'm pretty sure there is. Here, oh. crawl inside. <laughs> <laughs> so I can crawl inside you. <laughs> oh, shoot. Speaking of Batmobiles, while well, we still got the time to talk about it, Um, what's your impression of the new Batmobile? Um... I like it. I don't. I don't really have that much of a problem with. It. You can't see much of it right I'm now. Say, that's a very anticlimactic answer or response. Uh, well, I, I liked it. <laughs> it looks like it should be a Batmobile. I'll put it that way. Uh, when the when Michael Keaton's Batman, uh, Tim, Tim Burton's Batman debuted in 1989, the Batman, the Batmobile you saw looked like it should be a Batmobile. But it again, it kind of fell on the campy side because yeah. you know with the wing the high wings and and everything it was like the the jet engine was there you know the way it was able to it had the the um it the all the other features you're like well that sounds like it should be a batmobile but just it's just its look it's like the batmobile should like batman himself should be stealthy it's like you know batman's not going to like walk around with a sign you know, saying, I'm Batman, I'm here to take down crime. You know, he's supposed to do it in the shadows. And so his mode of transportation should be the same. It should be stealthy. That's why the Batmobile, the Tumblr in the Christopher Nolan version, in his universe of Batman, was stealthy. You know, it was... His was know, straight up military ready. It was military grade, and it was stealthy. It was, it was you know, you, you, uh, you didn't see it until it actually showed up. You know, but but Tim Burton's Batman Batmobile was like, okay, it's out there. You know, you see it. It's like, oh, there goes Batman. You know, I guess he's going to go get groceries. <laughs> you know, but this but this Batmobile is is Dude, what discovery. It's uh, <laughs> I've got coupons. <laughs> At least he doesn't use a bat credit card. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but. But yeah, I think this this version of the Batmobile is is awesome because it it's, it goes along with what he's doing and the the timeline of that where he's like he's it's been like his he's already been Batman for like a year so it's a very rudimentary looking Batmobile it's it's high tech to to a degree but not but not like it would be like years from now as he continues to be the character so. But just its look, it has it has that slash Corvette slash Mustang look to it, the body style. So I, I it has that stealthy look to it that I think it should look like. I mean, it straight up looks like he took the time to build it 
in the garage in the back. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is it looks like something he built himself. He put together himself, maybe with a little help. But I mean, but if you're going to play, if you're going to be Batman, mm-hmm. how are you going to, you can't, you can't contract someone. It's like, hey, build me a Batmobile. <laughs> it's like you're going to go to your local mechanic and be like, shh, build me a Batmobile. <laughs> and just don't tell anybody who I am. You can't do that. So you kind of have to develop those skills and do it yourself, at least to begin with, until you're able to get the right allies that can help you, you know, to do, to put things together. But you can do like what most people do. Like if the military wants to, or the government wants to create, like say they want to create something, it's like they have one department work on one thing and one department work on another thing and then another department work on another component, but then not all... The three of them don't know what each other's doing. So like Dr. When it, Pepper. <laughs> when it comes to yeah. So when it comes together with someone who actually knows what how to put it all together, it's like they know what they're putting together, but all these other companies or whatever, they're just building these components, but they don't know how they interact. So that way it keeps that that secrecy up to to where it's like, okay, I don't know what I'm building this for, but I'm getting paid for it. But it's all coming together for something that they're not aware of. So mm-hmm. it's probably the same way later on where he's like, well, I'm having this come from here, this come from here, and I'm building my, my technology and my components and my Batmobile from all these different sources, but they don't know what it's for. So they can't put it together in their heads what I'm doing. Taking away, <clears throat> taking away the people who have played Batman and taking away what the, Batma- what the Batmobile represents, going off strictly appearance. Your top three Batmobiles. Top three Batmobiles? Mm-hmm. There's been a different one in every movie. Oh, wow. Um, just the movies? Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure you haven't seen all the other stuff. I, I, would, I would have to say that the, the Tumblr from Christopher Nolan would be my number one. The, the current one that's coming out with, this, with Matt Reeves, uh, um, the Batman, would be mm-hmm. my second. And then the third would have to be the original the original Batman from Michael Keaton, 1989. Uh, Batman, 1989. Who had to be my third. I think my top three, and I, well, one you're, I'm pretty sure you're definitely going to disagree with, but it goes, goes back with more how I perceived it in my childhood. My number one is going to be obvious. It's going to be, of course, the 89 one, because I loved his, I love Michael Keaton's Batmobile so much. Number two, the tumbler. Mm-hmm. And here's where the how dare you is going to come in. <laughs> I really like the way the Batmobile looked in Batman Forever. Oh, how dare you. <laughs> <laughs> it, had, it had that micro machine look to it. I thought it just looked zazzy. It did. The only problem is, is that, again, it goes back to what I said. If you're Batman, why are you going to have a lit up Batmobile? going down the street why is it going to be backlit back back lit Mm. on the hubcaps and the engine cowling where it can be so easily seen going down the street why would you do that it's like that that was just done for the comic booky you know like oh this movie's so popular now we can do this kind of effect it wasn't like Again, it, it just takes away from that idea of like, if you're Batman and you're trying to get to where the scene of the crime is, it's like, okay, there's Batman going down the street. Look how lit up his cool car is. Okay, alert everybody that he's coming. 
so he can't well, fight gonna crime. Be there. <laughs> they know that he's going to show up anyway. <laughs> right, but you don't, you know, but it's kind of like, you know, like you turn around and it's like, I'm here. And he starts beating everybody up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's like, that's how Batman is supposed to be. That's how he introduces himself into like, you know, into the to the gang is like, you know, they don't know he's there. And then all of a sudden he shows up and then everybody's getting beat up. And that's it. <laughs> it's not like, oh, well, you know, here he comes. I guess we'll stay here and wait. <laughs> <laughs> I heard this dude's pretty badass. I want to see this. I'm going to watch him beat my ass. Yeah, I don't think it's supposed to happen that way. I love that. I love that one line. It was like, shall I pack you a sandwich, sir? I'll get, I'll get drive through. <laughs> Man, you got too much of a heart on for that damn movie. <laughs> it's one of the worst movies ever. I just, it had to me. It was, it's very quotable, even though it's yeah. yeah. Well, because well, obviously it's not going to go through through drive through. Batman's <laughs> sick as fuck, right? Uh huh. It's like well, he's not going to keep that Batman physique if he keeps hitting McDonald's. But that was another reason why they made those movies that way because of toys, because of McDonald's, merchandising, of where, the real, where the real where the real, the real movies, movies, yeah, where money's, the real money's made. made, right. That's that was the problem. I mean, Batman, the first movie that came out, Batman '89, was not meant for kids. There's even a scene in there where you know that Batman's fucking um, um, the reporter. You know, his uh, his girlfriend. So it's like you know, also, Vicky Vale. You know, he's he's uh, he's obviously you know there's something going on with them. There's like those those little bits and pieces of stuff that's like this is a dark Batman. This is a Batman that doesn't screw around. He screws, but he doesn't screw around. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah. But then by the time the second one and the third one, especially when the third one came out, it was like, well, kids are watching this, so let's gear it towards kids because you know they'll be the ones screaming and hollering for the toys and the Happy Meals and everything. And that helped ruin the franchise for a while. And also, also Keaton's was the first one that had the um, at the first time that, even though he didn't physically take out the thug, but his was the first one to actually show Batman killing someone because he throws that dude in the and that um in the sewer with the bomb. That's the second movie, yeah. That turned off a. Uh, that turned off a lot of people because he has that no kill um, motto. See, I I think people have built that up that he has that no kill motto. Uh, they say the same thing about Superman, and it just goes back to the fact that oh, these are comic books are for kids. You know, what are we teaching our kids about violence and yada yada yada? <laughs> Whatever. You know, if you're Superman, you can punch somebody through the freaking chest like you like did the Joker. <laughs> do it. You're gonna do it. Sometimes you have to. I mean, it's just like, you think that there are soldiers out there that go to war knowing that they're not going to have to kill someone? You know, it's... Even even anybody who... I think it's... I don't know, I just feel like even a good guy can have... A, everybody can have a moral code. A good guy can have a moral code. But at some point, you have to break that code if it means life and death for you or a loved one or the situation it's just a fact of life you know you're and i know we're talking about comic books but just to presume that batman or superman or any other um comic book hero is going to have that quote code where they don't kill 
is just, it's a good code to have for the most part when you know that 99% of the time you don't have to, but there's always that 1% where it's probably going to have to happen. It also comes down to one of the quotes that he had that I can't remember if it was in a movie or it was actually in the comic book, but he actually does say, like when someone confronts him and says, why don't you, why do you keep arresting the Joker? Why don't you just kill him and end it all? Yeah. And he says, if you kill a killer, the number of killers in the world stay the same. Right. So that's where his no kill comes from. That's why he believes in justice, not not well, murder. Well, Batman is supposed to be a detective. Supposed to be a great detective, so that kind of falls, kind of puts him in a, in a a law enforcement kind of way. Like, you know, I'm helping to get these criminals off the street, but not by killing them, but by helping the cops to capture them. You know, to help them and everything, and to and to be that justice. And again, it's it's understandable because yeah, you can you can make the argument that if someone like Batman when is able to kill, what keeps what keeps criminals from feeling like, you know, like, well, if he, he can, if he can, up with, he actually brings it up with Ledger as he goes, cause he says, if I kill you, I'm no different than you are. Right. Exactly. But I was like, that actually makes a lot of sense. Well, it does because then it's like, what's the difference between you and I, you're willing to to go to the lengths that I am. You know, the Joker's willing to kill in order to get his point across and to do what he wants to do. And if Batman's willing to do the same, then he's he's lost that edge of being the better guy. But again, it's but it's not killing just for the sake of killing. The Joker's going to kill for the sake of killing. Right. Batman, if Batman has to kill, he's obviously going to do it as a matter of defense. He's going to do it because it's the only way to... In, in a, a, a literal life and death situation. Literal life and death situation, or to end a situation that's going to be caught, create mass destruction of life and death. It's like if he were to end the Joker's life, he's not ending the Joker's life because he hates the Joker. He would have to end the Joker's life because he knows if he doesn't, the Joker is going to probably kill more people, or kill mass amounts of people, or kill someone that's very important to him. So that's that's the only reason Batman would probably kill the Joker. It wouldn't be because it's just blindly killing someone he's doing it he would have to do it because he knows that's the only option he has left he's been pushed to that point it's the only option he has left in order to ensure this you know it's like you take one life to save hundreds right you know that's making me really appreciate that movie even more if you go back and just if you focus on just the dialogue the company the the discussion is that he well that you know ledger is batman and um Bell, Ledger's Joker and Bell's Batman. Yeah, is a lot deeper than you realize. It's almost like they're trying to teach you a teach you a, a life lesson. Right. Well, they are because I mean, even though it's a comic book movie, even though it's supposed to be somewhat of an action movie, it's actually good movies are dialogue driven. You know, it it. It's the characters are actually interacting in a way that that you're you're understanding the psychology of yourself, of your society that you live in, and the characters themselves in the movie. If it's good dialogue driven, if it's good character driven, that's why we like Kevin Smith movies because it's very it's so heavy dialogue. But you're understanding the characters, you're understanding the characters, you're understanding the, the psychology of you know like how you identify with them in your own mind. 
like, yeah, I've dealt with that situation or I understand where that, that character is coming from. So a good dialogue-driven movie like those are is what makes all helps to make them great. It's not just the action. It's not just the Joker or it's Batman or it's some of the action sequences in it. It's, it's what they say, how they interact, what they do, you know, how they, it, how they, they act in that movie that makes the, the more impressionable presentation, I guess you could say. Another thing I really appreciate about that movie in the um, interrogation room, you know, where he's, where they're, where he's punching the daylights out of Ledger. Yeah. There are no camera cuts required. They, I, I, I may have mentioned this to you before, you know, before we started ever, you know, thinking about doing the podcast. <clears throat> but before they did that scene, like, 10 or 15 minutes, you know, when they were, when Ledger and Bell were, you know, talking about how to do the scene. Mm-hmm. And Ledger said, I want you to hit me for real. Yes. And Bell was like, nah, dude, not supposed to do that. He goes, he goes, if we're going to make this scene look real, he goes, you got to nail me. Yeah. And he's like, are you serious? He goes, yeah, he goes, beat the shit out of me. Yeah. He I goes, remember, he was I, like, I remember he goes, reading that and seeing that. Yep. And he was just like, are you sure? He goes, yes. He goes, I want you to fuck me up. He yeah. He's like, Make it real. All right. And the fact that they the fact that they had that much respect for each other and were able to work together that well made and, me respect and, it so much. And trust each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's, that's ultimate trust between actors where it's like, you know you're going to get hit by, physically get hit by someone else. But you're, I mean, that's just how dedicated Ledger was yeah. to that character. And it's just God. It's just so. Now, it's so sad that he's gone because. Oh, definitely. Like I said, if if they had made him, if they had put him, if he could could have played that same Joker for Suicide Squad, that movie would have been a completely 180 degrees from what it was. And let it be clear, I don't think Suicide Squad is a bad movie. I liked it. I actually liked watching the movie. I actually went same. to the theater and watched it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was fine. I had no problem with it. As a matter of fact. I mean, Ben Affleck has a cameo. His his Batman has a cameo in the yeah. movie. You've got Will Smith. Will Smith actually gave up doing the sequel to Independence Day in order to do that movie because he believed in it more. He knew Independence Day, the sequel, was going to be junk. And he did this movie instead, and he actually does a really good job as Deathshot. And, and um, 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 Margot uh Ketter uh, did a really good job as Harley Quinn. Yeah, Margot, Margot Robbie. Uh, Margot, uh, yeah, Margot Robbie, excuse me. Um, she did a really good job as Harley Quinn. I mean, it was just like you, you saw her in those shorts, and you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> she literally, I mean, she, she, well, I don't, I don't know if unfortunately is the correct deal, but, well, maybe it is, but she, even though she was a great psychopath, she became a sex symbol, so to speak, just because of how she was in that movie. So much so that as soon as I saw her in that outfit, I was like, she just launched a thousand Halloween costumes for the coming year. <laughs> and she also took over Comic-Con, guys. There was like 150 Harley Quinns. Yeah, of all shapes and sizes. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. Some women just don't need to dress up that way. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, thanks for playing, <laughs> but try again. 
But I mean, there's but, no and, way. There's no way I would dress up as Batman because I got a gut. It just would not look good. <laughs> exactly. That's why I would never dress up as uh, Thor because it's like I just I'm not muscular enough. <laughs> I couldn't pull it off. Exactly. Now, now you could play. Now you could play Thor. From Endgame, <laughs> anybody can play Thor from Endgame. You can, you know, you can have the dad bod with the long hair, and he you're in. Ch- he gave the chubbies a chance. <laughs> he did, he did, absolutely, and I had fun doing it too with the bodysuit and everything. But yeah, but I actually enjoyed. I actually liked uh, uh, Suicide Squad. I had no problem with that movie. Mm. You know, I, I actually was disappointed when people were, were not liking it. But I think it's also. It was. It fell in a time, and, they, and you still have this where people just get online and they just make a, a they make it their job to be um, to be uh, visceral and to be uh, anti everything. It's mm-hmm. like it's a good movie, and I think. But you know, it's like there were part. I know that a lot of people don't like the latest Star Wars movies, but those movies aren't bad movies. They're they have bad elements to them. Right, but they're not they're not over, wholly bad movies. They're they're not like real campy, and they're not, you know, un and, and <clears throat> not. It's not like they're not well written and so forth, or the, the special effects are horrible. So, but people just have made it, they've made it their their profession to just be uh, overly critical about everything. You can't. Yeah. That's why it's like I've stopped watching reviews online. I've stopped watching reviews on YouTube. If a movie comes out that I want to see, I don't watch them anymore. I, I, I stop watching reviews. I stop worrying about what these other people say. I go and watch that movie and make my own judgment, which is what you're supposed to do, in my opinion, to begin with. Don't, don't, I, don't, I don't worry about the rev- even the, the professional reviews you know, like come out like in professional yeah, papers and, and, and tabloids and magazines because, you know, you're not going to find a whole lot of movies that we like to watch, like you know, movies about comic book characters or Star Wars or anything like that. You're not going to find a whole lot of these uh, critics who went to school, went to film school, and they come out and suddenly they they had never probably done a whole lot of movies, but they're suddenly um, experts on on the the genre or the medium who want to give you their 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 opinion about a movie, and it's like, well, you know. I don't really care about your opinion. I'm going to watch, go watch this, and I'm going to make my own opinion about, you know, is it good, is it not, you know? Right. And people will vote. People vote with their wallets. So that's why you can have movies like Transformers. We need that as a T-shirt. <laughs> that is excellent. We vote with our wallets. We do. And that's why, like, movies like Transformers, like the first Transformers movie, I thought was good. And we talked about this last time. But the other movies that came after it were not. They were not that great. I mean, again, it goes back to, like, you know, the special effects were good. They were professional to top notch. The writing was sucked. Some of the acting was okay, but not all of it. But the problem is that those movies still made tons of money because people vote with their wallets. Critics pan those movies. A lot of people didn't like those movies. And I agree, those movies are not as good. As a matter of fact, it took away a lot of the goodwill that the first movie made with it coming out because you thought, okay, Michael Bay is going to make a shit movie. And he didn't. He actually liked the first one. Actually, was a good movie, I, I thought. To, I was about to say, at first. <laughs> at first. But then after that, it was like, oh, well, he just kind of slipped back into what we know him to do. So, But, but they still made tons of money because... I mean, people wanted to go see them. They were like, well, we're going to go see this. And unfortunately, we were like, eh, it wasn't as good as I was hoping. So, but people, yeah, they do. People, all, with anything, people vote with their wallets. If they want to buy something, if they want to spend 
money on a service or a quality of entertainment, they're going to do it. We need to start putting a timer up here before we start recording. <laughs> we're we're about out of about out of time. time. That SoundCloud's going to allow. Okay. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and cut it short. We've said what we wanted to say. <laughs> that was a good one, though. I enjoyed this. Yeah. I think next next time we will dive into Star Wars, though. All right. Um, and we'll, we'll see how, how toxic that goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, whoever was there, thank you for listening. And we will see you next time. Well, I see boats in the water while I'm drinking a beer. There's a seafood festival going on down here. It's not on the beach, but there's a plenty of light. Provided by my briefcase, I threw in the fire. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the temperatures. I watch you strip down to your bikini, it's great Music for the soul is being played in the night While fireworks go off in the evening sky Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah well, Yeah, yeah, yeah well, Yeah, yeah, yeah oh. We go from country to beach From highway to road When will this night that that's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack and that that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors right now there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day that's why at paraton we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on because if we don't the alternative is unimaginable paraton